The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25 this morning. Uh, continuing our verse-by-verse walk through the Gospel of, uh, Gospel of Matthew, uh, looking to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. I want you to put a bookmark there, and then I want you to navigate back to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, one of the larger books of the prophets. Open it up there halfway towards your Bible, and you're likely to land in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, this passage is a prophetic word pointing to the work of the Messiah, uh, the Christ the servant of the Lord who was to come. Isaiah prophetically writing these words, so much so that we may put them into the mouth of the one who is the Messiah, who is the Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. The main overarching point that I want to make this morning is really the main overarching point of every passage in the Gospel of of Matthew. Uh, It is that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the servant of the Lord that the prophets proclaimed about, prophesied about. Jesus, the Son of Joseph, truly is Jesus who is divine, God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. That is really the overarching message that Matthew is making by recording the stories about Jesus and telling them as he does, quoting the Old Testament scriptures as he so often does. His his main point is that we come to realize that this Jesus person we speak of who lived some 2,000 years ago was unlike any other man, that he truly is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one who is to be worshipped as Lord, as a Savior. We talk often of how Christ died upon the cross for our sins and was buried and on the third day rose again. Uh, Likely, if you've been here any length of time at all, uh, you know that is the greatest verification, the greatest validation that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that He was raised again the third day, that, that what He did at Calvary truly atones for your sins and for my sins. But I want us to consider this morning what Jesus validated about Himself through His ministry. 
Not just the ministry of the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection, but even in his earthly ministry, those three years that Jesus spent ministering and serving the the, the people of, of Israel, what he revealed about himself in that time frame. Even in the summary that we find at the end of Matthew Uh, chapter 4, these three verses that give just this general summary of Jesus' Galilean ministry. What he did while he was in the region of Galilee, likely around the time frame of that second year of his three years of ministry before his crucifixion. Who is Jesus? Some of you may have come here wondering that even this morning. Who is this Jesus of Christianity? What was his life like? What did he do that was so special and so unique, most especially his death, as I've already said, but even in his living, what was it that drew so many to him? What was it that causes us to celebrate his life even so many years later? What does his life, not just his death, burial, and resurrection, tell us about him? Matthew, as we just read, summarizes his ministry with three components, teaching, preaching, and healing ministry of teaching, a ministry of preaching, and a ministry of healing. What I want us to do this morning, and I have to be quick, I went a little long in the first service, I'm trying better the second go around, I want to look through all three of these. I want us to consider each aspect of his ministry, teaching, preaching, and healing, and look through quite a bit of scripture. Put on your thinking caps and and follow with me please as we, we walk through this, but on each, I don't just want to leave it out in the realm of, of just an intellectual understanding, but to get application from it. What does, this, what does this compel us to do? What does this mean to you and to me even this morning as we read about this preaching and teaching and healing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? So first, let's consider the ministry of teaching and the, the exhortation with that aspect of his ministry is listen to him. Hear what he has to say. He he commands an authority that must be listened to. Matthew 4 and 23, we read again, Jesus went about all Galilee, and first it says, teaching in their synagogues. Now, the synagogue was a place that the Jews would gather outside of Jerusalem and those regions that were were remote from the temple where worship could take place. They were, they were buildings even that the Jews would gather into for instruction and for worship in that time frame of Jesus. And so if you could imagine living in the area of Galilee, you could not navigate down every Sunday or rather every Saturday, every Sabbath to the temple. It would be a two to four day journey to make it from Galilee down to the temple. And so synagogues were set up where the Jews would gather for instruction in God's Word. The Word of God would even be read and often um, spoken upon, just as we do this morning. And even debate could occur, conversation, even like we may think of in a Sunday school setting, would occur within the synagogue. Worship occurred there in this place. Jesus went there, and Jesus, it says, taught there to the people. He what we have even this morning within the, the, the establishing of the New Testament church, the church service and the church gathering was based very much so upon those gatherings there in the synagogue in the day of Jesus. And so you think of that sort of even church service-like setting that Jesus would walk in and Jesus would begin teaching the people 
divine truth from God, even divine truth from God's Word, that for so long had been neglected and forgotten and twisted. Before we get there, I know some of you are thinking, what is the difference between teaching and preaching? For many of you, you kind of probably just assume it all has to do with the mode of delivery. Like if you say it real calmly, that's teaching. But if you say it, you know, loudly and you're spitting a little bit when you say it, and especially if you have a southern drawl, that's what preaching is. And so I could say, you know, God loves you, and God gave His Son Jesus to die upon a cross for you. That's teaching. But I've said, God loves you, and He gave His Son to, you know, that's preaching when you get fired up. It doesn't matter what they're saying, but if they're fired up, that's not what preaching is. There's a difference between teaching and preaching, and it has nothing to do with the mode of delivery, how loud a person is or how much they spit while they're saying it. What is the difference between teaching and preaching? Teaching comes from a Greek word, to teach, which we get our, our English word didactic from, instruction. Teaching is instructionally based. Teaching is meant to inform. Teaching appeals more to the intellect, to the understanding, to give truth, to convey information, to convey instruction whereby things may be understood, the how and the why, the understanding, teaching produces that. Preaching, on the other hand, the English word that we would get um, from that Greek word, the closest one, would be proclamation, to proclaim. Some of your translations, even a modern translation, may not have preaching but have proclamation in certain um, verses where the word preaching may be found in the New King James or the King James Version because, again, that word in Greek, it literally it means to proclaim, to exhort, to encourage, to rebuke, to instruct in a way that is not appealing so much so to the, the intellect as it is to the heart, to the volition. So, so preaching is, is calling for a response. Teaching and preaching. As I was thinking about the distinction between the two, I could not help but think about my experience over the past couple of weeks, once again teaching my kid, coaching my kid, rather, in t-ball. And so I'm out there helping with t-ball practices and t-ball games, and I do a lot of preaching out there. I do a lot of teaching. I'm preaching to the kids, hit the ball! Come on! Come on! Hit the ball! Swing the bat hard! Get those runners off the bases. Get them in. Run to first. Run, 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 run. I'm exhorting. I'm calling their attention from all the things they're distracted to to do what, what they know they ought to do, hopefully, from practice. But when I get a kid that comes up to the plate and he's, you know, facing the fence, you know, trying to hit the ball, and it's like, hey, bud, pitcher mound, second base that way. That's what we're lining up to. And I, I get the kid, and here, put, put this foot, front foot here. Yep, your other foot back here, and hold the bat back. Get your elbow up. All right, you're going to hit the ball, hit it right there, and I want you to rotate through, squish the worm with your back foot, turn, turn your back foot. And I'm, I'm instructing. I'm giving the how-to. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. Now, now, good teaching will lead to preaching, and good preaching will have teaching. Preaching without teaching is, is pretty shallow. It's pretty empty. And the opposite, teaching without preaching is pretty... It's pretty just removed in the, the realm of not having influence, just just disconnected if it's only teaching and there's no application, there's no, there's no in exhortation based upon what is being taught. Great preaching will have teaching and great teaching will end and conclude in preaching. Jesus did both. 
But as we think about the aspect of teaching, realize Jesus came to us from the Father to reveal the Father to us. He came to reveal the truth of God to us. He came to to undo the mess of what man had done to the interpretation even of his Old Testament Scriptures. The Pharisees had so twisted God's Word. They built precept upon precept and principle upon principle, whereby they turned the the following of God into this legalistic pursuit of self-righteousness. And and Jesus came and he, He teaches God's Word in a way that opened up the eyes of God's people to see the the authority by which he taught. These verses even are an introduction to what we'll be looking at in the weeks that lie ahead of us in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, a great teaching by the Lord Jesus Christ, a very famous teaching, uh, teachings from the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, in verse 28 and 29, we read, and it was so that when Jesus had ended these sayings, that all the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. In Matthew 6, there in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught the people how to pray. You think of the parables of the Lord Jesus, and though they were meant to conceal the truth from whom it was not due, uh, to those that he gave the understanding and inter- interpretation of the parables, how beautiful they are. The parable of the sower and the seed, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the good Samaritan, the parable of the lost sheep, the parables, uh, all the other parables, to think of how when you understand them, they illuminate that, that truth from God. Jesus was a great teacher. He was a divine teacher. He was there to unfold the Scriptures and lay them bare before the people. Not only did He teach the Old Testament Scriptures, but He also taught about Himself and what God had sent Him to accomplish. We won't read all the passages, but Matthew 17 and Luke 19. I'll just read Matthew 20 and 28. It says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to to serve and to give His life a ransom for many, He taught that He came to die upon a cross for the sins of the world. He, He taught His disciples that even before the crucifixion. They may come to understand why He was led to Calvary, why He went willingly, why He was crucified, that it was not plan B, that it was not an accident and a misunderstanding, but it was a very intentional reason for which he came, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, or as John the Baptist would put it, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus taught the people, understand that there is truth from God that we must know. Right now, there's truth, and there is error. There is a right knowledge of God, a right understanding of God, a right understanding of who He is and His glory and in His holiness and in His righteousness and in response and reflection to that, there's a right understanding of who you are and of how you can come to know Him and have a, a fellowship, a communion with God Almighty. All of that is, is knowledge that we don't arrive at in and of ourselves because we're sinners and we're born in sin and we've been duped by sin. And we come, when we come to that age of accountability, we choose to worship the creation rather than the creator. Nobody gets to the age where they have the mental capacity to believe and to understand and say, I know there's a God and I know He gave Christ to redeem me and He died upon Calvary for my sins and I need to repent and believe upon Him and I'm saved from the the moment I've been born onward. No, no, no. There must be a time where you were taught of God, where you were taught of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for you, where you were taught of your sin and of your need for repentance. These things are not natural. We 
We are born in darkness. We are born deceived. You are a sinner. You need knowledge from God. You need truth from God. He gave it in His Word, but He gave it in the Word incarnate, the Logos. John 1, that Jesus fully expounded upon and fully, completely fulfilled even all that had come before in His life. He is the Word of God to us. He is the light that comes into the darkness, not only to morally give goodness, but to intellectually turn the lights on so that we may see. Listen to Him. I think of the chapter of Matthew 17 and, and verse 5 in particular, a story we'll get to in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus takes His innermost disciples, three of them up to this mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration because before their eyes, Jesus kind of opens up and they see the glory of the second person of the Trinity. They see the glory of God incarnate. It was a, there's a bright light and it is a, a majestic revelation of God, the Son in His glory. And a voice from heaven speaks just as it did at Jesus' baptism, repeating, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm sorry, this is my beloved Son. And the baptism was in whom I'm well pleased. This time around, what does God say? Listen to Him. John 17, or I'm sorry, Matthew 17 and verse 5. This is my beloved Son. And He says, listen to Him. That, that He speaks with authority. That He is teaching divine revelation, truth from God that is to be believed, that is to be received. Hear it. Listen to it. The ministry of teaching. Notice, secondly, the ministry of preaching. Not only must we listen to Him, but we must believe upon Him. The truth that Jesus gives is not meant to just be understood and left. The truth that comes from God is meant to be received and then calling us, compelling us to action because of it. Go back to the illustration of coaching. You know, I, I find myself teaching a lot at practice and preaching a lot during the games. So, so in practice, I am instructing. I am trying to give the knowledge of the game and teach them instructionally what they're to do and how to field a ground ball and where to throw that ground ball and, and all the basic mechanics of, of baseball. But if you know T-ballers, I've got four-year-olds, five-year-olds, and six-year-olds, and they've got the attention span of a gnat. My goodness. During the games... I am preaching. I am calling them, exhorting them, encouraging them to, to put to action that which they have been taught. I am constantly yelling at them, batter's up, the batter's about to hit, get ready, get your glove down, get in the fielding position. All right, the ball's hit, go get the ball, go get the ball, go get the ball, throw it to first, throw it to first, throw it to first. Pay attention. Yeah, yeah, stop playing with the sand. Yeah, I see the butterfly. Yep, yep. I see the cloud. Yeah, that cloud does look like a dinosaur. You're right, bud. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you love your mommy. There's the batter's up. Batter's up. I'm preaching to them. And all of their space cadet, crazy attention span everywhere. Pay attention to what's going on. You're going to get hurt. There's a baseball about to get hit. Preaching, preaching, preaching. Teaching is needed, but preaching is also needed. Jesus not only taught the truth of God, but he called people to act upon it. Even now, His Spirit is not just teaching to us His Word, but His Spirit is calling us and compelling us to take that which we now know and put it to action. For some, that may be the need of repentance. 
to repent of sin and turn to Him. For a believer, it may be following Him in obedience in some area of your life, but God's knowledge and truth that He gives, teaching, Jesus follows it with preaching, and He rebukes the Pharisees. Matthew 23, we'll get there. He rebukes false doctrine, false teaching, false teachers. He exhorts to follow the truth. Preached what? He preached, first and foremost, the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Go back to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, and we read that from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that time in the life of Christ before the cross, the message of the gospel was repent because the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's at hand. It's nearly here. And as the ministry of Jesus would unfold and come to that point of his death, burial, and resurrection upon the cross, this side of the cross, we say repent because the kingdom is here. Jesus has died upon the cross, been buried and raised again. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus proclaimed it to all that no matter how wealthy or poor, educated or uneducated, religious or or not having that religious status within the culture, all had to repent and believe. All had to repent and turn with this gospel to believe and call out upon God for their salvation. It was glad tidings to the poor, Isaiah 61, the gospel to the poor, because the poor now had equal access to God as the rich. And it didn't matter if they were a scribe or Pharisee, the religious elite, the rich of that day who had in the temple special access and privileges because of the corruption of the day and age and the injustice of the day and age. It's a a glad tidings to the poor because the poor actually had easier access to God because they didn't have the deceit of their riches holding them back. The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus proclaimed it. He preached it. He encouraged repentance and belief. He rebuked the false teachers. We must not only know the truth, but act upon it. Christ did not come merely to inform us about God, but to call us to God. Christ didn't just come so that we may have information about God. Christ came in order that He may call you and me to God. In order that He might say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. In order that He may say, Come unto me, you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're not called just to believe Jesus. We are called to believe upon Jesus. Teaching ministry of Jesus. The preaching ministry of Jesus. Notice lastly and thirdly, the healing ministry of Jesus. Long. Matthew goes into a little bit more detail speaking of the healing ministry of Jesus. At the end of verse 23 it says, And healing all kinds of sickness. All kinds of sickness. And all kinds of disease. And so this wasn't one person who was sick and one person who was diseased. This was a multitude of people who were sick and who were diseased among the people that Jesus healed. Then, verse 24, his fame went out through all Syria. And so he went and done in this initial act of healing all these people. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and uh, paralytics. And he healed them. And a great multitude followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. The fame spread because there were people who had been 
unable to walk from a child, and they were in their 60s, and Jesus said, rise up and walk, and they walked, and people they couldn't see, and he, he, he healed them, and they could see all of a sudden, and people with all sorts of sicknesses, all sorts of diseases were healed, and his fame, it went viral before the internet, before Twitter and Facebook and everything else, the news spread, there is one who can heal our sicknesses and our diseases. Why? All of these miracles. Why all of these miraculous healings? I don't have much time, so I must be quick. I want to give you three reasons why all of these miracles. First, these miraculous healings authenticated the message that Jesus taught and preached. It authenticated that He truly was the Son of God, the Christ, the Servant of the Lord. John chapter 10 and verse 25 Jesus speaking to a group of disbelieving Jews who were questioning, if you're really the Christ, just tell us. Jesus answered and he said to them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. You know what he says? These miracles that I've done, they speak in and of themselves. They bear witness of who I am. None other can do what I have done. John 14 and verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Even if you don't believe the teaching I'm giving or the the preaching I'm giving, look to the works themselves. Look to the miraculous healings that have occurred. It is a validation, an authentication, that I have power over sin, death, and the grave. Matthew chapter 11, we'll get there. John the Baptist is in jail. He's imprisoned, and he's beginning to waver a bit in his uh, assurance that Jesus truly was the Christ. And he sends one of his disciples to, to John or to Jesus to ask him, Jesus, are you really the one, or should we wait for another? And what did Jesus tell him? Jesus responded, and he told this disciple of John, go back and report to him. And tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He's quoting Isaiah 61. And he's saying, John the Baptist, you ought to know better. I am the Christ. Jesus was not merely a great teacher and a great preacher. He claimed to be God incarnate. He claimed to be the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel, the Redeemer of all people everywhere, the Lord and Savior who's worthy of your life and worship this morning. His healing ministry authenticated, validated that truth. Not only do these healings authenticate the message of His preaching and teaching, notice also these healings reveal Jesus' heart to make His people whole and well again. Whole meaning body and spirit, body and soul, complete. Matthew 14 and verse 14, it says, And when Jesus went out, He saw a great multitude, and He was moved with compassion for them. And he healed their sick. So Jesus saw the multitude and their suffering and their sicknesses and their frailty and their pains and their burdens. And he wasn't unconcerned and distant, but he had compassion and moved with compassion. He healed their sicknesses, their ailments. That God created us as embodied souls. That God is not just concerned this morning with with 
making you whole spiritually, but He is concerned with body and soul. One of the greatest mysteries in my mind, one of the greatest in, in the Bible, is what does an embodied soul look like? Like, like what does it look like at that in-between in time when we leave this earth and our bodies have corrupted and the decay of this life, but, but, but we go to be with the Lord and yet the resurrection hasn't occurred? Do you realize there is a resurrection that's coming where God will bodily resurrect our, our physical bodies to a glorified body? He will reunite body and soul someday. We are embodied souls. God not only cares for your spiritual well-being, He cares for your physical well-being. And you say, why is it then that we have all this stuff like death and sickness and cancer? And all of this is a consequence of sin. The Garden of Eden, even the rebellion against God, all of this comes into creation. Creation is now scarred and marred because of sin. And here we see in the heart of Christ compassion for the afflictions of His people. That God does grieve with you in your sickness and your cancer, and your loss, and your burden. And He desires to make you whole. He desires to make you well. He did that many times in His life, and the question must then therefore be asked, be asked why, why doesn't He still do it, or does He still do it? Can we be healed miraculously in this day and age? To answer that would take more time than we have left, but to answer it briefly... I believe, yes, God can heal miraculously. He is God. He can do that which He chooses to do as long as it's not against His nature and character, against His Word. He is totally free, and He has and He does heal miraculously. However, we cannot put God in a box and make a little formula whereby we think we can make God act. For example, well, if you have enough faith, and if you say this prayer, uh, you anoint with this oil, then God will heal. He is bound to do it as if we are God and we our ways are higher than His ways. Um, you, you can't make this thing formulaic. And I will also say that God does not intervene with divine healings as He did in this day and age. There was a divine intent and purpose in the healings that were outpoured in this day and age in the life of Christ and in the early church. And that was to validate the message, the teaching and the preaching that Jesus truly was the Christ. And so at the onset of the infancy of the New Testament church even, there were many more miracles that were being done by God's Spirit through His people, through His apostles even. And we see within even the life of the apostles towards the latter end of their ministries, those gifts of healing and miracles had subsided. Within the early church, church history evidences the truth. But I'll give you a little bit of biblical evidence at the end of Paul's life towards the latter part. With Timothy and his stomach issues, the end of First Timothy, Paul tells him, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and you're often in infirmity. He didn't say, go to the church and find somebody with the gift of healing, have them anoint you and say a prayer over you and you'll be healed. Okay, the gift of healing never was used in such a way, much less the, the, the Paul giving such instruction. He doesn't. He says, use a little medicine, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and you're often infirmities that Timothy was going through. Trophimus, a command, companion to Paul, was left sick in Miletus by Paul on a missionary journey. That's 2 Timothy 4.20. Why didn't Paul just speak a prayer of healing over him and heal him? A prayer of faith can automatically produce, force the hand of God to intervene and divinely heal. He left Trophimus sick there in Miletus. Paul even himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, was inflicted with some sort of ailment. We don't know exactly what it was, but he said he, he prayed three times. He prayed multiple times for God to remove it from him, and God never did, because God's ways are higher. And Paul even acknowledged that, that he gave it to him to humble him, lest he be exalted above what he should. These miracles, they 
authenticated Jesus' message. They revealed his power, his heart to make people well and whole. And then notice thirdly, one more reasoning. These miracles, these healings foreshadow the eternal healing that God will bring for his people in the new heaven and the new earth. Everybody knows what a foreshadowing is, right? That's something early on in the story that pictures something that happens later on. These healings of Jesus foreshadow the healing that will be brought to all of his people when Jesus returns and and makes all things new. When he finally turns this ash into beauty eternally. Revelation 21, verses 4 through 7. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne, that's Jesus, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Do you long for that day? You should. Long for that day when all the brokenness of this life, all the pain, all the suffering, all the sin, all the temptation will be eternally dealt with and done away with in the power of Christ. Everything will be resurrected. The judgment will occur. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth of perfection. We will be perfect in the righteousness of Jesus. And hear me, we will be perfectly healed in the uh, power of Christ to make all things new. No more cancer and and no more car accidents and and no more unexpected deaths and the grieving of the loss of a loved one in the here and the now. Forever we will be with the Lord, forever glorified in the bliss of that eternal joy in heaven, new heaven and new earth. Are you longing for that? Are you seeking that? Are you hoping in that day after day after day? No, there's some godly saints within our church that are getting closer to that day that's going to be with Jesus. And it does cause grief. It does cause sorrow. Just as Jesus was moved unto tears by the passing of Lazarus, even knowing what was to come in the moments that lie ahead, it causes grief and the separation. But hear me, believer, Christian, understand this glorious truth of the healing power of Jesus, that we can say with Paul, it's better for us to depart and be with Christ. That we can say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That we rejoice in that. That for the believer to die is, is gain. It's life. Death no longer holds a power over us. To, to die is to be eternally healed by the power of the Lord Jesus. There we will be in the presence of our great physician. And someday he's going to come back and get these old broken down bodies and make them all new eternally glorified and he's going to do away with this world of sin and and consequences of sin and he's going to create a new earth and it will be eternal glory it will be eternal bliss i want to close by reading a passage from luke that happens during this galilean ministry of the lord jesus christ luke jesus returns to nazareth and there he enters the synagogue teaching nazareth his hometown And it says that, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He quoted Isaiah 61. That is where he opened up to and read. And then Jesus said these words. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes um, all the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know what Jesus said to them? I am who Isaiah prophesied about. I am the one who's come in the spirit of the Lord, who's been anointed by God to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted, to to set at liberty the captives and give sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed and to bring in this acceptable year of the Lord, the day where salvation can be found. This is who Jesus said he was. As they all marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Isn't this the young boy that we saw grow up in Joseph and Mary's house? I'm here to tell you that Jesus, the son of Joseph, is Jesus, the son of God. He was born of the Virgin Mary, but he is God incarnate. He came not only to die for our sins, but He came to reveal to us the truth of who God is, that we may rightly know and that we may rightly be called to act upon. And even by the power that He validates in His healing and His death, burial, and resurrection, that that He has the power over sin, death, and the grave. He can forgive sins and He can resurrect the dead to life again. Died upon a cross. Bring that all to fulfillment. He's gone to heaven He's preparing a place to get us, and He's preparing that place surely again. He'll come again to get us and take us there. I beg you as we close, listen to Him. Believe upon Him. Long for Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Christ. We thank You for what You've accomplished in and through Him. Lord, in His ministry of teaching and preaching and healing, we learn so much about who He is, as He reveals so much about who You are to us. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for the Word incarnate. Thank You for Your Spirit that is here now, even opening eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here grieving the loss of a loved one, or just going through suffering and sickness, or Lord, strengthen them. Give them the hope of Jerusalem, of New Jerusalem, the hope of Zion. We know there is a city builder and maker is God that has foundations. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're living for. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, open their eyes that they may see you. I pray they would repent and believe upon Jesus now in the vindication. Find that now is the acceptable day of the Lord. Now is the day of salvation for them. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.